the podcast was inspired by a poem in a movie called The Gray. And the poem goes something like this. Once more into the fray, into the last good fight I'll ever know. Live and die on this day, live and die on this day. Welcome back to In the Fray. My name is Edgar. And I'm Melissa. Uh, today we're going to be talking about ground and pound. It's a term used in mixed martial arts. Um, and ground and pound is a coin, or it's a term coined by Mark Coleman, who is a legend of mixed martial arts, who himself is a former Ohio State Wrestling Division One. Um, participant Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so we're gonna try to kind of like in a generalized way maybe talk about from the beginning of its ground and pound uh to the more modern times of ground and pound and the influence that it's had on jujitsu and mma and how it's uh force the guard players to improve their guard work from the bottom uh, thus creating new guards to play with thus creating new ways of ground and pounding and the vicious circle continues mm-hmm. okay so before uh, so we're going to start with Mark Coleman he is the godfather of ground and pound um, he did coin that term, as I stated before. I believe it was on on an interview leading up to UFC 14. I'm not too sure on that. I'm just kind of thinking out of uh, from memory, but I'm pretty sure it was UFC 14 when the, when he had said that in an interview uh, as his style, because they were asking him, you know, what is your style? Because back then it was still style versus style, right? Yeah, like. Karate versus right. jiu-jitsu yeah. or judo or Exactly. Whatever. And so him being a wrestler, a high-level wrestler, um, not really knowing submissions in a way, you know, his style said, well, my, my style is ground and pound. I take you to the ground and I pound you down, down there. Mm-hmm. So um, his approach was very interesting in that beginning because it was a time when if you had a decent guard in jiu-jitsu or in MMA and you happen to be on your back, you wouldn't really fight to come up to your feet. You would, you know, you would try to catch the guy in a triangle or an armbar, that kind of thing. Um, you wouldn't really try to sweep the person too much. That was kind of like the style of, of MMA back then off your back. So a lot of it was very close guard um type of MMA off of your back. Mm -hmm. Along comes Mark Coleman, a guy who's like 230, 240, probably 250. uh, Big muscular guy who was more than willing to be inside your guard and stifle you. Now how he would stifle you or neutralize the guard would be he would get up on his toes so like on the balls of his feet, yeah. he would drive his head into your face, um, and then he would try to get inside control. So like he would either try to get his hands on your biceps or behind your head. So okay. that's bear crawling position. Kind of like a bear crawling position without using your hands on the right. mat. Using them on them instead. Yeah. Uh, so that's also where like the uh, can opener 
guard open sequence really started to be very popular in that mm. era. Um, but he would headbutt you because headbutts were legal back then. So do you want to do you want to explain what the can opener is? Uh, well, can opener is where you take both of your hands and you put them behind your your opponent's uh, head, preferably the neck. When you're in guard. Yeah, so it's like a tight plumb. Uh-huh. Uh But the person's on the ground and you're on top of them, and you have your knees right next to their hips, and then you curl their chin towards the person's own chest. You crank their neck. Yeah, you crank it, but you curl it, so <laughs> right. it's just a crank. Uh, if the person refuses to let go of their crossed ankles or the closed guard, it puts an unbelievable amount of stress and pain on your spine, Yeah. on the neck. I would and think it's very dangerous. It, it can be very dangerous for sure, and there has been people that have broken their necks that way. I don't doubt uh, it. Yeah. So um, that was, again, that was that era style. And in MMA, you know, like, close guard was neutral. Like, that was home base. Like, you couldn't really get hurt, you know, in close guard. Um, but along the way comes Mark Coleman and some of his uh, team Hammerhouse teammates, like uh, Mark Kerr, and, you know, who himself was known as the Smashing uh, Machine. Mm-hmm. Um, Randall... Uh, Kevin Rendleman, who his nickname was the Monster. <laughs> so all of these guys had a very heavy folk style, you know, collegiate level D1 wrestling background. Limited striking, limited submission offense. Me, I would say above average or maybe average submission defense. But they were so big, so strong that... They also knew how to neutralize their uh, person's hips with their own body. So they would always stay within the center line. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then they would... Oh, also in that time, they they would wear wrestling shoes. Mm-hmm. You know, or wrestling shoes or any shoes were allowed while you in fought in MMA. Yeah. So wrestling shoes were popular back then. So uh, they would wear their wrestling shoes, which gave them better traction. Uh, traction when they would pop up on the balls of their feet. One hand behind that person's neck or on the biceps, and then they would headbutt the person, um, get them to stop using their hands to try to get underhooks, overhooks, and focus on defending their face. Uh, that then they would uh, punch the body, you know, a couple times, and that's where like the now tried and true uh, combination of ground and pound is body body head. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you will hear like on the UFC uh, broadcasting and they, they're saying like, oh, he's doing body, body, head. Or you hear the corner yelling out, body, body, head, body, body, head. That's what mm-hmm. they mean. They mean punch the body twice and then come up over the hands to the face yeah. or to the side of the temple. Which was kind of Mark Coleman's, uh, you know, his, his forte is he would, he would hit you in the floating ribs and then he would punch you in the temple. Uh, and in between that, he would headbutt you. Um, all while he was tripoded up on the balls of his feet and uh, just like smothering into you. And because he knew that the guys would never open their guard to do like butterfly guards or any or try to scramble to get back to their feet, mm-hmm. it worked great for him. So another thing too was the cage. So what they would do is they would take you down in the middle of the cage or close to the cage and then they would put their opponent's head up against the cage. Mm -hmm. So this was before wall walking became a thing. 
Um, and so now you have your opponent, you know, their head is literally like against the cage wall and you are on top of them. Your chest is pretty much on their chest and you are headbutting them um, and they can't go anywhere. You know, those those modern tactics that we know now or that we see now commonly, they, they were not thought of yet. Mm. Um, so he won, I believe, three, maybe four UFC tournaments that way. So um, it was very interesting for that time. Well, you know, guards evolve and whatnot, and then people started to play more with, uh, with like butterfly guards or, or half guards, that mm-hmm. kind of thing, you know. And um, again, styles, uh, styles make fights, and then they they cause the other person to evolve. So Mark Coleman didn't, uh, and his teammates and the people that fought in that fashion, they uh, they didn't really evolve that point and uh, so guys like now Frank Shamrock comes along and they have really good butterfly guard for MMA which means that they will fight off their back if they know for sure that they will get catch the submission but if they know that the person on top of them has a strong wrestling background they will scramble with them to get back up to their feet so that they can box them and kickbox them Mm-hmm. Because usually, there if you were a strong wrestler, you had really shitty stand up. Mm-hmm. So um, that means you have to create scramble. So you know, in wrestling, they call they're called elevators, but in jujitsu, we call them uh, butterfly guard. Uh, so that would happen, and that's kind of what happened with the uh, fight with him with Frank Shamrock and Tito Ortiz. That was the saving grace. Is that um, you know Tito Ortiz was like the Mark Coleman two where he had that kind of style, like Mark Holman, but he had evolved it a little bit more. So, like, Tito Ortiz's style of ground and pound was to use a lot of elbows. Elbows and forearm strikes. And so, just like Mark Holman, he would be, like, on the balls of his feet, pin the opponent's head against the cage. But un- unlike Mark Holman, because due to the rule change, because you can't headbutt no more, mm-hmm. he would be up like his head would be slightly past your head so that way now he's controlling your biceps and it's real close to your head with his elbow so he would just elbow you and forearm strike you Mm -hmm. um he became pretty popular that way i believe that's how he won his uh first uh ufc title and kept it for a long time um you know and t ortiz was known for his ground and pound obviously he would punch but you know, um, he wasn't really passing guard. Um, wasn't trying to pass guard. He wasn't trying to pass guard. And if he would try to pass guard, he would go right back to it. If his opponent, for whatever reason, had a decent butterfly guard, but they couldn't still get Tito off of him, he would force them to go back into close guard. And I think that's where uh, you get a lot of people now where uh, that grew up watching you know some of these fights where when they're training jujitsu they just automatically like will just go back into the close guard of their opponent yeah that's kind of like what tito ortiz would do on purpose um and just like more common is he would always try to keep his hips squared with his opponent's hips Mm -hmm. um and so 
what that did was that it would just keep their hips it would keep their opponent's hips pinned to the ground and their knees towards the chest mm. um, and that's very uncomfortable yeah. sometimes right yeah so then you know again guards evolved and whatnot and then you have well let me go back a little bit then you have some guys that are outliers like in between this you had guys like uh, uh, Fedor Emelianenko mm-hmm. brutal ground and pound I mean he had probably one of the worst side effects of ground and pound uh, his famous fights with uh, Big Nog I was going to say though but isn't he giant yeah, heavyweight. Yeah. Well, he's like a smaller. He's like two twenty, heavyweight. But his legendary fights with uh, Big Nog or Antonio Rodrigo uh, Nogueira, uh, you know, at the time Nogueira was the standard heavyweight, right? He had awesome jujitsu off of his back. Um, you know, he's the one that first did the anaconda choke ever in MMA. Uh, he didn't. Someone taught it to him, but he was the first one to pull it off in competition. Um, you know, legendary guard. Like if you took him to his back, he was he was gonna submit you with a triangle or an armbar. Like that was the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had pretty decent boxing for the time, so he was dangerous all the way around. Fedor comes along and he takes Nogueira to the ground, and unlike. Uh, Mark Coleman and Tito Ortiz, who you would say favored position before striking, Fader was strike first, worry about submissions and positions later. And it was evident because um, Nogueira would fall to his back, Fader would disengage. He wouldn't do what Tito Ortiz would do, was to willingly go back into the guard. Mm-hmm. Fader would disengage. He would pop up to his feet. Stand up. And he would stand up, but he would be like right at the edge of the people's uh, feet, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and he would use that to gauge how far he needed to throw himself with a looping punch. Would he throw himself back into the guard? He or would throw himself. The guard? He would throw himself back into the guard, punching. Oh. Like he would like punch. Fall like, punching. Fall punching, which he was extremely accurate with, which it would cause people to be all worried about their face. Mm-hmm. So by the time he landed on top of him, he would posture up and punch his way back out. Mm. And he would just do that. He would stand back up, punch, 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 throw himself down, punching, land on top of them, make sure that he was centered, his center line was centered with his opponent, punch them, and then continue backing away as he's punching. Mm. Um, there's a really famous clip. I think it's the second uh, fight that he had with Noguera. Uh, and the camera angle is just right. I mean, it's really, really phenomenal where Noguera's head is in front of the camera and then the camera is pointed up, you know, like over his head. Mm-hmm. And you can just see Fader just like coming in like a Superman and then like landing his punches and boom, boom, boom. And then he'd be right back out again and then he'd throw himself again and boom, boom, boom. Like he wouldn't pass guard um, unless the person would turn away. <laughs> Like, he would punish them so much that he would cause the person to just turn and get into a fetal position. That's how he would pass guard. Mm -hmm. And just to get on top and then, you know, guard and pound him again. Hammer fist, that kind of stuff. Um, So let's go back forward. Uh, Then you have guys like, well, again, the guard evolves. So now you've got, like, uh, half guard, right? 
Um, half guard became somewhat popular now in sport jiu-jitsu and it kind of transitioned over into MMA. Um, and so then you now have the guys like um, Randy Couture and Team Quest guys, which is the team that Randy Couture was a part of. Dan Henderson, Matt Linland, uh, Nate Quarry, uh, Chris, Chris Lieben, you know, all, the, all these UFC legends and MMA legends of the time. So half guard was now introduced, and you know, you you couldn't uh, close guard was no longer working because everybody knew kind of what was up. So then you try to go for either butterfly hooks or half guard, but most of the time people would go to half guard because it was still you would be on your back and you didn't have to fight that hard, you didn't have to scramble that hard, you know. Um, and also because Nogueira, as we mentioned before, uh, he was dangerous off his back, and he actually made the half guard sweeps very popular in MMA. Because at the time when how people would posture up to try to punch, they didn't really know what to do when they would they didn't really know how to posture up to punch. So that made their balance or their base very weak, which it lent itself to half guard sweeps. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again you guys now you have guys like Randy Couture and Team Quest who also have a strong wrestling background. Mm-hmm. And what they figured is that they would sit in the half guard. They so instead of them forcing, no, they would sit on the leg. Yeah. So instead of them uh, forcing the way back to close guard, they would force their way into half guard, oh. and let their opponent like wrap their legs, get it, yeah, get get half guard on them, mm-hmm. and then they would sit on their, on their thigh, head. yeah, and then they would make sure that uh, they were not gonna get out. Mm-hmm. And so they play a lot of like half guard, top half guard, with underhooks and punching with a free hand. Yeah. Now their style of ground and pound was more of like the leg Turk variations from wrestling, from freestyle wrestling and even some folk style wrestling, where a leg Turk is pretty much the wrestling uh, equivalent of half guard in jujitsu, where you are the one, the person on top. You are wrapping your legs purposely around your opponent's thigh and keeping their knee off the ground. Okay? Uh, Where in half guard is you want your knee on the ground to be able to move around and sweep, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what Randy Couture would do. They were more of a leg rider's style of ground and pound. That was their key position. That allowed them to, again, punch with one arm while they use their other arm to hug you, keep you close, or control your underhooks that you were trying to fight for so you could get to your half guard. Um, so that was kind of like their forte on the ground. Work you down, and then half guard, okay? Um, you know, and it just kind of evolves. Uh, then you guys uh, have like... Uh, like Georgia St. Pierre or GSP, his style of ground and pound was very, uh, same thing, like position before submission type of mentality. But he would actually posture up. He would come up to his feet and then he would pinch his opponent's thighs with his knees. So like he would sit on on his opponent's hamstrings while pinching his knees together to pinch his opponent's legs together. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And he would, in turn, put both feet to one side 
and he would ground and pound and he would punch down on them to pass guard so that he could get to side control or get to mount so that he could try to work submissions and punch at the same time. Mm-hmm. And and when he first came into the UFC, right, uh, the style was like, if you got to crucifix position, it was game over. So, and that was popular because of uh, Ivan Salisbury. And for the longest time, the crucifix position was known as the Salisbury position. Um, because it's really, really hard when someone is on top of you and they have you in the crucifix, right? So it's like a, a crossbody right up on your chin and on your chest. And they have your arms spread apart, just like crucifix. So they have crucifix. Your, your arms in their legs and then they're controlling your other arms with their hands. Yeah. Yes, with one arm and they're punching you and elbowing you in form strikes. Mm-hmm. So at the time, it was really hard to get out of. It was like the ultimate checkmate. Um, you know, Matt Hughes did it. To Hoist Gracie, when they fought, um, did it to uh, BJ Penn the second time for the rematch. Uh, GSP started doing it to some of his other contemporaries. Um, you know, it's just kind of like the popular move to go to. You take someone down, they put you in close guard, you punch, you pass to half guard, and then you pass to side control. And as you're passing to side control, you pin one of their arms with your shins, giving you somewhat of a control for the crucifix, and then you punch your way into the crucifix. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was very popular then. Um, but again, GSP revolutionized it by standing up inside someone's clothes guard and then p- using his legs to pinch their knees together while he sat on their hamstrings. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like... Your opponent's knees are right up to their chest. Mm-hmm. Which, if you've ever been in that position, it's super uncomfortable. Uh, it feels like you can, you just can't breathe in a yeah, way. You're being squashed. You're being squashed, and your hips are very hard to move because they are stuck. Yeah. Um, and now, now imagine getting punched at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so then, uh, you know, that kind of went that route, and. You know, guards started evolving again more. People started to scramble. Now you have wrestlers that were also like, you know, jujitsu black belts, right? Maybe not D1 wrestlers, but they were very good wrestlers that had very good skills off of their back. And they started uh, merging both both ideas. And so now you had scramblers. You had a lot, of, a lot of the guys that if you take them down to the ground, they didn't want to do guard. They wanted to scramble to get back on their feet because maybe they prefer to do kickboxing or boxing or they just felt that they were better off on on the top position so you had a lot of scramblers there and so for a while it was just kind of a hectic wild west show right like if i take you down can i get back up and if i can't if i if i can't get back up i'm gonna scramble to try to wrestle you to the ground so that I can be on top, and uh, you know, actually, that's where the lay and pray really came about. <laughs> mm-hmm. So lay and pray was strong wrestlers, good jujitsu off their back, and they were like get taken down or knocked down by someone who has a better striking, and then use the guard to scramble to get back up on top position, and then they would lay on top of them, mm-hmm. because the rules at that point was if you were on top, you're winning. 
and we've right. seen that we've been watching some some uh, those older fights here uh-huh. in the past couple of weeks. And it's so interesting again watching those because the rule sets have were so different. Well, but also the rule set was was it not? Uh, you had to actually be working. You couldn't just lay on top. You could just lay on top. They wouldn't stand you up. No. Not then. No, not then. Not it then. happened later. It happened. It started to happen later. Yeah, yeah, because that was a, that was one I, of the complaints. Because I thought I thought it was more like they. They would lay on top of well, you and not work, and then they changed that rule set because it. So I don't it's, know. So I, it's like, if I took you down or scrambled you and got on top of you, and let's say, maybe you're tired or you're hurt and you still have me inside your guard, but you're not doing anything. Yeah. And I don't want to do anything. I'm winning. Like I'm still winning. So the term "lay and pray" became very popular. Okay. So that's one of the reasons, like. You know, if you were going to go against a wrestler who had limited abilities on ground and pounding, they would uh, lay and pray. You know that, so they didn't really know or were too or were not too comfortable punching you while they were holding you down. Mm-hmm. So they would just lay on they you. They would just hold you down. Yeah. So lay and pray came about because they would lay and pray that they would get the win. But nothing came of it. Not- Are they waiting for a submission? No. No. They would just hold you down. They would just hold you down. And every once in a while, maybe like give you a one or two slap to the and face. so were they getting points for that? For they they are getting... Down? Yes. 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 So that's why the even rules... Though, even though the fight's not progressing. Right. But that's where the rules start to change. Like, well, you have to improve your position. Right? Yeah, but... If you improve your position, we'll keep you down there. If you don't improve your position, then we're going to send you back up. Improve your position from the top, top, top yes. Uh, position? Yes. But then it got to where... If you're not improving the position, if you're not working or nobody is working, like it wouldn't take them long and they'd stand you back up. Well, see, then they go to the opposite. So now, like, this is weird uh, influx of back and forth in that era. They like, be- between. Yeah, they overcompensate. So yeah. I could be just pure grappling you. You have me in your guard. I'm passing your guard. I'm getting to side control. Yeah, I'm working to side control. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm getting a half guard. I'm working to side control. You turn. I get your back, but there's no punches being thrown. Right. You're just moving positional jiu-jitsu. Yeah. And I'm trying to, and I have like a submission hold on you, and you're defending it. You're attempting. Yeah, I'm attempting something, right? The referee would be like, okay, everybody back up to your feet. Yeah. You're not improving your position. Yeah, and that is such bullshit. Right. That's, but that's the times where the referees had very limited knowledge jiu-jitsu. of technical jiu-jitsu. Yeah. They may have knowledge in MMA grappling, like, you know, punch, punch, punch. Punching was Wild good. ground, yeah. But once you got to actually technical jiu-jitsu, technical grappling, and not just jiu-jitsu, like technical wrestling, scrambles. Yeah. Like, I've seen fights being stopped in the middle of an awesome scramble. Yeah. All right, back up to your feet. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's... Oh, it's so annoying. It is annoying. So, you know, as it's a like fighter. It's like I'm in the middle of something here, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I've seen many fights where the fighter was actually on top, had a locked-in arm bar, but because the person on the bottom was defending correctly, but they were just kind of stuck in a weird non-movement transition. Yeah. The referee would stop them. Yeah, even she, though it takes time. Yeah, the referee would break him up and be like, all right, get back up. And the guy who was actually... A, you know, winning with the armbar will end up losing because of knockouts or 
they just lost the fight. Yeah, I remember when that used to happen too. Like they were in the verge of winning and then they stand them up and then they end up losing. Yeah, and it was because of that. It was because they were overcompensating. The the person that was grappling and they were in control, they were not punching enough. Yeah, but they didn't understand that the the refs didn't understand that they were in control and they were in the middle of Correct. submitting. Correct. That's why like uh so that so rules in that greatly uh, influence how people go about things. So that's why now uh, a lot of the times people will rabbit punch. Yeah. They're they're grappling, they're doing really good. Their main focus is on the transition control and every once in a while they'll throw like two, three really fast punches. Yeah, it's you know, just rabbit for punching. Show. Just for show. Yeah, just, just for show. Just to show that you're still working. Yeah, exactly. That you're in control, that you you know, yeah, you can hurt this person or you're hurting the person. Uh, so that kept them on the ground and you know, kept the referees off out, their back. Off their back, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, so little things like that, you know, and then, uh, you know, obviously, you know, now we start going into the era of, again, you know, wrestlers that have excellent uh, ability off of their back. You know, they're like good technical wrestlers with really good technical submissions. Uh, off of their backs and so now it's like who can keep it's like if I can keep you down that means I can't punch you because as soon as I try to punch you you're going to scramble you're going to get out right so now it was like it became a, a battle of who can get back up so that's where you know like wall walking became very popular where you take me down, I'm going to like butt scoot and shrimp all the way to the edge, to the yeah. wall. And I'm going to use that to get back up and get back to the center. And then I'm going to be able to, you know, strike with you. Um, and so a lot of a lot of grappler, heavy oriented fighters would lose that way. They would get really tired of taking someone down. Because if anybody that's wrestled before, you know that if yeah. you keep taking someone down and they keep getting back up. It is extremely fatiguing. I mean, you see that now. That happens all the time now. Yeah. People uh, take people down. They'll jump right back up. They'll yeah. walk up the wall. It's, uh, it's very mental, mentally fatiguing. Because in the back of your mind, it's like, I'm doing everything correct. And I still can't keep this person down. It's like, mentally fatiguing getting back up, too. Right. But, like, if you it's are... Physically fatiguing. Right. But, like, if, if you are... If that's your game plan, yeah. it's easier to deal with that. Right. When your game plan is to just take you down and keep you down, I'm not expecting you to get back up. Right. And if you keep getting back up, mentally it's like, man. It's not working. It's not working, but this is all I know. Mm-hmm. Or this is all I'm comfortable with. Or this was my plan. This was my plan. And like, yeah, it's like. So they develop that tunnel vision. They develop that tunnel vision where like they don't want to deviate from that plan when it's not working, but they just keep doing it. And, yeah. You know? So. You know, it keeps evolving and now becomes a, a thing of like who can scramble better. Uh, so now you have people turning to their back or turning to turtle position. People are getting, you know, punched, grinding pounded that way. Um, and then along comes the guys of AKA, uh, American Kickboxing Academy, guys like um, Kane Velasquez, DC, and uh, uh, Habib uh, Nurmagomedov, right? Like, Cain Velasquez has probably one of the most terrifying ground-and-pound uh, abilities that 
has ever been, you know, documented. Like his ability to manipulate the other person while he's passing their guard um, is just unreal. Like, well, for one, he's a D1 wrestler from Arizona State. Uh, he's a jiu-jitsu black belt. Uh, he's got a above-average striking ability. And his greatest weapon was that he had an unbelievable gas tank for a heavyweight. Like this guy, uh, you know, legendary that he could outwork even the lightest guys in training, you know. So the thing with Cain Velasquez was that he was now very well aware, you know, because fast forward a couple years from when we started, he could play or he could ground and pound you from inside your guard, from half guard, from butterfly guard, from side control, from mount, from the back, from crucifix. Like he could ground and pound you from any position and he was always at home, you know. And so that caused a lot of the fighters that he went up against to be in real trouble. Like one of the, his most famous fights was against uh, Bigfoot Silva. Antonio Bigfoot Silva, where they always joke about it, but it, it's true. It looked like a murder scene. It looked like an Alfred uh, Hitchcock murder scene. <laughs> like, it's all bloody everywhere. Like, he is hitting the guy so hard, and the guy is being so stubborn, and he's trying to, like, get a half guard, get back to close guard, try to get a butterfly. Like, he's just going through all these different submissions and or positions and guards that... He can never get away from getting punched. And finally the referee stops it because there's literally like a blood pool in the center of the octagon. Like that's how much blood this guy was losing from just getting elbowed and punched, uh, you know, on the on the ground. Mm-hmm. And uh, like when Cain Velasquez got up, he's just like covered in blood from his opponent. Uh, it was... You know, it's pretty gruesome, but at the same time, it was kind of cool because the way he got up and, and whatnot. But, uh, uh, but again, his ability to just do that to people, you know, and and uh, and another thing too is that he would not let people wall walk. Like he would keep them, pull them back down, pull them back down. Yeah, like he started to get their head away from the cage. So it's like now, if you want to get back up, you have to scramble, like like wrestling. You have to scramble off of that mat. That's really tiring, especially when you have someone of his grappling pedigree on top of you. That's very tiring, right? So at this time, people were not, even now, it's hard to see someone be really good off the mat, like scramble off the mat. They, they rely a lot on the, on the wall. You know, DC was really good at ground and pound, same thing. He preferred a lot of the half guard stuff. But again, along comes uh, Habib uh, Nurmagomedov, and then he did, he popularized the uh, figure fouring your po- your opponent's legs, um, and going around the person's back and getting a hold of their wrist. Because I was gonna say, doesn't he do most ground and pound from the back? Yes, uh, from like a side control. Yeah, a half. So he's got the leg controlled. So he's it's like a referee position but more control yeah and so then um, which is smart very because smart. they can't hit you right so he would he allows people to turn away from him 
and like get into the referees or uh, turtle. turtle position. And so then he will uh, wrap their wrist. If he, if you're using your right hand to post on the ground to try to keep your your weight off the ground to try to scramble, he will collapse that wrist. He will reach behind your back and then between your arm and hold on to the wrist and then push his weight down on it so that you can collapse on your forearm and now you're stuck and then he's going to use his free hand to just punch you mm-hmm. really, 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 really hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, his ground and pound was not uh, like rabbit punching. It wasn't like I'm just going to like jab, jab here, jab, jab there. It was like I'm going to throw a knockout punch after knockout punch every single time. Yeah. Um, and, uh, same thing. So, like, he did a little bit of, like, how GSP would, would throw, uh, ground and pound. If he was inside the closed guard, he would, uh, well, a little bit of GSP and Fedor. Like, he would disengage, and then he would pinch his opponent's knees with, with his legs, ground and pound him, throw the legs to the side, ground and pound him. And then he would force people to go into their half guard, right? So, like, he would be inside the person's half guard. But instead of him, like, passing guard, like, a knee slide pass, he would go to the opposite side, and he would get what they would call now a three-quarter mount, okay? So that three-quarter mount is where you purposely leave one ankle in between the person's legs, so if you're in the bottom position and you are facing like your hips, your belly button is facing your opponent's belly button, that would be considered a quarter guard because you, you just have the ankles pinched. Like all the leg is out, the whole body is out except for like the ankle and the foot. It's pinched with? With your legs. With your shin? With with your legs, like oh, a half guard, oh, okay. like a half guard, but your but your ankle is stuck. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's called a quarter guard, which is a legitimate, you know, guard. But you know that would be a different story. But if the person is mounted on you and you have their ankle pinched, right? Like they still haven't gotten the full mount. Mm-hmm. That's called a three quarter mount. Well, three-quarter mounts is what uh, Khabib is really good at. And it's what the now very popular way of doing ground and pound. So um, it used to be like once you get to mount and you ground and pound people, that was it. But, you know, again, people evolve. People get more better at it, right? So they figured out that, like, if I can just get a half guard, I can recover back to close guard or or I can get back up to my feet. Well, how do you neutralize that? Never go to full guard or full mount to begin with. Always give them that little bit of hope that they have something stuck between their legs, mm-hmm. right? And uh, because some people will hang on to that forever and it means nothing. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and especially when you're getting hit, yeah, and your you body get will, out of there. your body will automatically do something. And if you have something stuck between your legs... And you think you're hanging on, that you have some control, but you're actually just pinning yourself down. Yes. You're getting yourself deeper and deeper into that well. Yeah. Um, so that's one way how he would uh, ground and pound. Uh, the other way, like we talked about, is like he would take the guys down um, against the cage, figure four of their legs, and sit on their shins. Mm-hmm. And then he would stand up. One hand would frame against the person's neck mm-hmm. or their face and the other hand would just come swinging heavy leather yeah that would cause them to turn away 
and he would get to their back, get the uh, what is now called the Dagestani handcuffs, because Habib is from Dagestan, um, wrap them up, lock them down, and then just proceed to ground and pound. Like the, the obvious one that you that you can go watch was against uh, Edson Barboza. Like within the first two minutes of the fight, Khabib gets him to the ground, gets him in the uh, Dagestani handcuffs, and hits him like eight times unanswered. Wow. And and Edson Bar- Barbosa is like, do I defend the punch? If I defend the punch, then that means he's going to further break down my posture and I'm going to be stuck in his mount, which he has way better grappling than I do and I don't want to do that. So I'm going to absorb the punch and try to scramble to get back up to my feet. Mm-hmm. But Khabib was only allowing him to get back up only to one knee. And then he would drag him back down and just punch him again. And like they they show the camera on his face. And the look on his face goes from like, I can do this, I can do this, to like, oh shit. Like, I am stuck. I can't do anything. I can't get back out. I can't go back inside to do a different escape. Mm-hmm. And I cannot defend against the punches that are coming at, at me. Like, the look on his face was like that of a Stephen King horror movie. <laughs> like, he knew he was in trouble. Um, you know, but that's that's kind of like a little bit of the evolution, I would say, of the ground and pound. And a lot of it, like I said before, it has to do with the evolution of the rule sets. Also, with the evolution of the... Um, of the guard right mm-hmm. how people are comfortable playing off their back uh, what are they doing differently to make the person on top uh, loose and then just a vicious cycle right yeah. uh, one one little uh, side note here is that uh, when uh, Mark Kerr the smashing machine he went down to Brazil and he fought against uh, Fabio Gorgel Harvey Grugel is the, uh, he's now one of the leaders for Alliance Jiu-Jitsu, mm-hmm. which is one of the biggest, most successful sport Jiu-Jitsu teams in the in the history. Um, but I remember reading and, and hearing uh, interviews about that time where I guess he, you know, he knew he was going to fight this guy, uh, Mark Kerr, the smashing machine. And so they knew that the, the guard that everybody was using back then was just not working. So I guess uh, he went to Hicks and Gracie uh, to see how they can solve the issue of, I can't take him down. He outweighs me by like 40 pounds. He has way better wrestling than I do. When he's on top of me, I'm not going to be able to sweep him because he just has unbelievable scrambling abilities. And he's 40 pounds heavier than I am. Um, he is known for his headbutts and his uh, punches. Like, like how can I beat him? And so supposedly, Hicks and Gracie had come up with a new guard or a new version of some old other guard. Um, and I guess it was like you would have to like cross your legs and put it against your opponent's uh, chest if you could do that then you could create space to where you couldn't get punched and you could punch them and try to like go underneath them and sweep them or something like that right 
Well, I guess Fabregas tried to do that. He got taken down. He didn't really try to fight the scramble. Next time, next thing he knows, his head is against the corner, pinned, and so he's forced to go into this guard only for Mark Kerr just to smash him, and proceeded to literally like reshape his face. Mm. Um. And, and you can watch the video. You can watch it on YouTube. And you can kind of tell that Fabio Gorgel was trying to get his legs and his shins and, like, like, like crisscross applesauce in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it just wasn't working. And I don't, like, it just didn't work. So he was going to, like, uh, you know, like, make a barrier to keep yeah. some space. But he just smashed his legs to his chest. Yeah, or? the guy was just too heavy. Like, like, it was a good idea in a way. But he never... I don't think they took into account the tenacity that uh, Mark Kerr had. Mm-hmm. His willingness to just like bully his way into what he wanted to. You know? I wonder uh, why he didn't just put his feet on his hips instead. Well, it's because the way how uh, you know they were ground and pounding. Uh, he would have his feet on the ground, ball on his ball of the feet, his butt's up in the air, and his face is right against your face headbutting you. And so what are their legs doing? Do they have them in guard or what? People uh, on the bottom? Yeah, they would have them in close guard. Which, that's exactly what you would want if I'm headbutting someone from close guard. Right. You know, it's like, I would want their legs around my waist so I can, like, you know, like I was talking earlier, like like Mark uh, like Mark Coleman, you know, like, he's tripoding and going into you, like, well, that's like why shoving his weight into why you. why they didn't take their legs out of full guard and put their feet on their hips and yeah the well you, there, there were there were like and some in some of the videos i think you can see fiber Griel try to do that mm-hmm. but it's really hard to do that when the person has already beaten you to the position yeah you know so like yeah but you can't hold them in guard you're just holding the position right but it's like what can i do you know like if i any worse if, if i let him go around my legs He's way better in those scrambles. Yeah. So I might as well just try to hold him and try to like push him back. Yeah, but from a different position than close guard. But close guard was the one. Yeah. You know, if I try to do butterfly guard, butterfly guard was not used at that point. Oh. You know, and if it was, it was kind of like here and there, but it wasn't the answer. Yeah. Close guard was the answer, yeah. and that's why you get a lot of these other older uh, instructors like back in the day. Excuse me. Older instructors that, when they first saw that, they were already like in their mid thirties. So by the time they got to do jujitsu, they were like in their mid forties. And if they had a jujitsu program, they are like religiously telling their their students, uh, "Your guard, you have to go into guard, pull guard. Yeah. Like everything fails, pull guard." And uh, that's where you have you know a hundred twenty pound woman trying to play guard on a three hundred pound man. Yeah. It makes no sense. sense at whatsoever, but it's because these guys—that's what they—they they they knew. Just, that was it. Just guard. Yeah, exactly. Not not taking into account there's other things, you know. They—they they don't know. Be on bottom and guard. Yeah, they just didn't know the other aspects of ground fighting off of your back. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like, yeah. Right now, common sense would be like to tell Fabio Rugel, like, you know. Your close guard's not working. Your feet on his hips are not working. What do you need to do? Well, maybe try to butterfly guard. Well, that's not working. 
Let him pass your guard, and as he's passing, you are scrambling. Try to f try to fight for a single leg. Try to fight for the underhook. Try to get back up to your knee. Try to work your weight back up, right? Like even if you can't get on top of them, try to work up to a point to where like you can go back into the close guard in a in a much more dominant fashion. Like maybe he exposes arm now that when you go to the close guard, the arm bar is actually now available, you know, uh, or the the guillotine now is available, or you just disengage and get back up to your feet and do your darnest to not let him take you down again as you try to punch him. Mm -hmm. Like keep it boxing. Because you don't want to kick him because if you kick him, you give him the legs, which he can hold on to, which he can take you down. and you know, So you would go back to boxing. Um, but that's not what they did. Because that was just not the style. Right. That was when jiu-jitsu fighters... <laughs> they well, didn't. They just did jujitsu. They did jujitsu. Yeah, they were just off their back. That's why guys like uh, uh, Omar Biteti, you know, like the two-time uh, open weight, the first open weight champion, and also the first back-to-back -back open weight champion. When he fought in the UFC, he did horrible, you know, and it, by today's standards, like he relied too much on his grappling off his back that he just got pummeled. Yeah. Like the guy he faced was good enough to defend the submissions, was good enough to keep him pinned on the ground, and uh, Omar Bitetti was not good enough at dealing with that type of tenacity and pressure. Well, and if you're just doing jiu-jitsu and jiu-jitsu competition, that's one thing. But when you th start throwing punches, like that changes the whole situation. Yeah. It gives people who you might beat in... in you know, straight up jujitsu, a whole other upper hand. Oh, uh, absolutely, uh, absolutely. Especially uh, littler people. Yes, no, I because agree. you can punch your way out of, out of holds. Yeah, but you know that's what we know now. Right. But you know, back then is like, this is what they didn't know. You know, or even if they did know, they didn't want to go against the uh, the tradition. the tradition. Yeah. You know, Elio Gracie was fighting off his back with a closed guard, like. That's what we got to do. Right. Kind of thing, you know? Um, but uh, ground and pound, again, in my opinion, um, I think it's probably one of the most... Uh, I think it's one of the hardest things to learn for MMA. It's also really? one... Yeah, because once you get to it, there's a lot of little nuances that like, you, you have to experience before you can really understand the full uh, control of it. You know, you have to have experience going against the scramblers, against going the guys that only lay on their back, the guys that only hold you with their legs, like, you know, so that you can actually get the control. Otherwise, I mean, you can train it nowadays, don't get me wrong, you can train it, but like when it really counts and you have somebody holding you down and you're not used to that, a lot of people still freak out and they will focus on like their leg getting held by the other person's leg that they don't realize like I can punch the person right. <laughs> you know yeah. they go back to that grappling versus grappling instead yeah. of like punching from the bottom elbowing yeah. from the bottom well it does from either position you know right. like instead of like I can punch to grapple and grapple to punch yeah but a lot of people who are on the bottom even now in the UFC do not punch and do not elbow and do not you know yeah. they just they, they're worried about getting out, but they don't understand they can fight their way out. You know? Right. I don't get it. I mean, it's like you don't have to hit, stay there and punch them the whole time. It's like 
include your strikes to create your openings so that you can improve your position so that you can further create more openings to punch and strike them so that you can further create openings so they can further improve your position. But there's people who do a lot of damage from the bottom with striking. Yes, absolutely. So one of the uh, fighters of our modern era who has one of the most underrated ground attacks mm-hmm. uh, is Michael Bisping. Michael, Michael Bisping probably has one of the best guards for MMA that uh, we've, we've probably ever seen. Uh, especially for his era, but even now compared to our modern guys, like he's his guard was pretty dang dangerous. Like uh, everybody that would ever take him down would always get back up bloodied. Mm-hmm. Like he was using close guard, you know, posting his his hip up in the air to create a barrier, and then he would drop his hip down to the ground to create a forward momentum. Well, that's what I was going to say. And he would just, like, cut people up left and right. You can um, control people with your guard, moving them back, pushing them forward, throwing, throwing them back and forth. Like, you, know, you can throw their face into your hand or whatever. Like. Right. And that's, that was, yes. And that's someone that's, like, actively using grappling to strike and using striking to improve their grappling control. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard concept. For a lot of people to get, uh, because it's like, well, I'm at the bottom. I'm just gonna try to grab. I'm gonna punch a little bit, but I'm gonna try to focus on getting to my to my hold. Once I get to my hold, it's just a matter of time before um, I can get the submission. Mm-hmm. Not realizing that the other person still has like a free arm. They're still punching you. <laughs> yeah. Like you're taking an, you're taking too many chances that way. Mm-hmm. Like make the other person think about get you know the punch. Yeah. Like make the other person think about like, oh, that one hurt really good. Like, oh, I don't want to get hit like that again. I might as well defend that. And when they defend that, unknowingly, they already expose, let's say, yeah, their arm. Yeah. Now you can get them like in that Kimura. You know, now you can get them into the sweep. Now you can, whatever, you know, improve your position. Get back up to your feet. Whatever it is you want to do. Mm-hmm. But it's a hard, it's a hard concept for a lot of people to, to understand and also to actually implement when it really counts. Yeah. I mean, I know I've been guilty of that, you know, like in, in training camps that I've I've been for my own fights and also that I've been in training camps for other people's fights where I'm exhausted and it's like I, I'm doing everything correct. I'm punching to improve my position, to improve my grappling, and I'm grappling to also punch. And then it just gets to a point where like I finally got the, the hold. I got it. And it's like, oh, man, like if I try to stay here for a little bit longer... I'm just going to get punched and punch and punch and punch and punch. Like, I'm going to get punched in the side of my ribs like 50 times. Is that really worth me waiting out another 30 seconds to hopefully get the Kimura? Mm-hmm. And most of the time it was like, no, it's not. So I'm just going to I'm gonna use the Kimura to create another punching opportunity. But when you're so exhausted, it's sometimes just like... Yeah, I don't care. I'm just going to wait that 30 seconds. They're going to punch themselves out. It's like, I may have a bruised rib, but I'm going to win this round. <laughs> and training-wise, that's not smart. But in the fight, that's exactly what you would probably want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll get to so so many positions that you'll be left with those decisions. Like, do I continue to hold and I know it's going to be checkmate in 30 minutes, in thirty seconds, mm-hmm. but I'm going to get an ass whooping in those 30 seconds. Right. 
or do I let it go and you know try to improve 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 again like I've been doing this whole time and lose that opportunity to submit the person yeah so it becomes a, a decision making in that sense but uh, again I feel like it's also one of the most exciting parts of MMA, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Uh, I, I mean, I love it when I see fights and they get taken down and they are actually properly controlled and ground and pound and whatnot and, and the other person is reacting the right way and it just becomes a good back and forth battle. I enjoy it. I watch it. I just, I like, I can't get my eyes off of it. Um, now, I think that's one thing that I really enjoy about MMA, but... Uh, as a fan and someone who also practices and coaches it, that's one thing that I really, really, uh, personally try to strive to be better at. Um, all right, so again, the evolution of the rules, the evolution of the guard play, is going to determine what kind of ground and pound is going to be popular and useful. Okay. So for those of you guys that are listening, uh, I know some of you guys have a long history of watching fights and whatnot. Maybe you can pick uh, one of your favorite fighters that you know does ground and pound. Study them. See what they do. Uh, study their quirks. See their controls. Um, and maybe start from the beginning of their career. I know you can find videos on a lot of them from some of their first fights. And you can watch like the... Uh, you can watch throughout their career how they are they are yeah evolving and improving their ground and pound and it's really cool to see because a lot of us that are hobbyists um you know we're probably like in their let's say gsp right my ground and pound is probably around his fourth professional fight (laughs) so like if i can go back and watch around that time how he did his ground and pound control that makes more sense to me Mm-hmm. And maybe a year from now, my ability to understand what's happening and control in the ground and pounding may be equivalent to when he was like in his 24th professional fight. So I can go back and watch that. So again, little train tip. Um, but as always, thank you guys for listening. Uh, my name is Edgar. I'm Melissa. And this has been In the Fray.